Time and again, the world bears witness to truths seldom said. Lend an ear. We promise enlightened, informed conversation. My name is Robert, and this is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. A very interesting and special guest today, Ms. Luisa Burgos Thile, who is an organizer for the Columbia County Sanctuary Project. It's a topic that is on everyone's mind, on the tips of everyone's tongue. Not that many persons are actively pursuing solutions to it. Louisa is. Welcome to Seldom Said, Louisa. Thank you. I wonder if we can start with a little bit of personal background, who you are, where you've been, and what's brought you to this time and place. Okay. Um, I have worked all my life um, for community organizations. I used to work for community action agencies and also did uh, a lot of volunteer work in the community. But all the work I've done all my life has always been related in one way or another to justice and to people's rights. So this was kind of a natural fit to start working specifically around the sanctuary movement. And by the way, that's the name of our organization, the Columbia County Sanctuary Movement. So I live in Hudson, New York, in Columbia County. I've lived here for um, about five and a half years. And when I first came here, I met a lot of people who were working around social justice issues. And that, that was also a natural fit for me. But the issues that had been happening in this country, specifically around the treatment of immigrants, um, was, has always been concerning to me. I have worked with, uh, with those populations before. I have personal connections and family members who it, um, it impacts directly. And I think that's what I'm finding once I met some of the people who are doing that work in Columbia County, that all of us have some kind of personal connection to it, either being immigrants ourselves, um, as some of our organizers are, or having family members or some kind of personal connection. And I think that's, um, that's true of a lot of people who work organizing, uh, doing social justice work. We come at it from knowing exactly what it feels like and how it impacts people to not have, uh, not have justice, to not be treated fairly, to be members of marginalized communities, and how that, um, how that impacts our community. So that's, that's why, I guess, I started working with a group, and it started out with just conversations from some of the people that I met in the community. We were not, um, CCSM, Columbia County Sanctuary Movement, was not an established organization at that time. It, w- it started out with conversations about what was happening in the world, what was happening in our community, um, what was happening, you know, to the larger community across the country. And it was very concerning. Um, the history of this country and the impacts that, uh, that our country's policies have had in other countries was something that I was always concerned about and how it impacts the people who now have to leave their countries because they're not safe or they don't provide the, the uh, resources for people to be able to survive, they come here. And they come here because this country has always presented itself out in the world as the place to come. You know, when I, when I think about what's written on the Statue of Liberty and the things and how it contrasts with what's happening in this country today, that's why I do this work. I would be rather curious. Oh, please continue. I was just going to say the very least people need to feel safe here um, and, and believe what we say this country is based on. And it's certainly not the treatment of people now at our borders. It's not the treatment of people who are already in this country working, uh, 
um, helping to build communities. So, yeah, that's the work we do is to try to to try to make this community and this country live up to um, what we claim to be about. One would be curious if someone is simply out there in the listening audience considering to themselves, my next door neighbor's in trouble, I wish I could help. Do you feel that there is a liability to being officially organized, that activism more fairly works when it's rather off the cuff and unexpected? A liability to to having an actual organization, you mean? Indeed, yes. It's almost like throwing a brick at a window. If the window is there, it'll break. If there isn't any window, who is to say? But in order for us to have the resources to um, to try to do the work that we do in the community, we need to be organized. And uh, we have, you know, for us, that's still a work in progress because, like I said, this started with conversations around um, what was happening in our community and in conversations with people who were the most impacted. And we work together, and we still do, with the most impacted people around immigration issues in our community um, because it's not for people to impose whatever services they think a community needs. It's up to the community to be the leaders in that and to tell us what the needs are. In order for us to have the resources to be of the most good that we can be, we need to organize. And we need to also be, be doing that together so that there is a community around it. Um, I, don't know, I don't know how else to do it. You can offer some support to your neighbor, but would you then know how to plug that neighbor into a legal system, you know, lawyers who might be willing to help them? Would you know how to plug that neighbor into transportation, translation. These are all the things that we do. Is um, We are attached to a, a network of lawyers who are willing to either pro bono or for a, a lower amount that they would normally charge to work with some of the people who have those needs. We have um, a network of translators who are part of our organization who help translate legal documents who help translate sometimes the very simple, basic things that people need translated. We provide, when we can, transportation. One of the things that happens to a lot of uh, the families we work with is they are required to attend either check-ins or meetings with um, immigration officials that are never, <laughs> they're never planned conveniently, either in location or time. So, we help people get to those appointments. We go with them. We have um, a whole, I guess you could call it a program around accompaniment. We do training around that, around what it means to accompany someone. And, and our Know Your Rights program is a big part of that, of people who are with people who might be under threat. They need to know how they give the best support. So there's training pieces as well. We wouldn't be able to do that unless we were organized. So, you know, of course, we, we have been a target um, in some ways, but that's not, you know, that doesn't deter us. We recognize it, but the more important issue is, is working with our community to make sure that we can help provide what they need. A while back... Whenever you want to continue a statement, simply continue, Louisa. Okay. A while back uh, during Jesse Jackson's presidential campaign, I guess I'm dating myself. It's more than a while back. But <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> in point of fact, uh, there was a slogan attributed to his announcement, uh, if not now, when, if not Jesse, who? Exactly. What prompted you? Uh, is there a click-off in Psyche where... One moment you were the activist considering idealism, and the next moment you were on the phones. Is there an epiphanal moment? I don't think for me there was a specific moment or, you know, a, an epiphany. It, this is the work I've done always. And, um, and so I think it, this is 
an issue that became so, the need became so apparent and the things that were happening were so outrageous and put people who most times were already vulnerable in impossible situations. And that kind of dynamic is what has always drawn my attention and my energy. So, no, I don't think there was a moment. Um, It builds, you know, and you see some of the stories. I don't, I guess part of how I I don't judge people for the work they do or don't do, but I can't imagine looking at some of the stories and not feeling a concern and not feeling doing a call to action because the things that have happened and continue to happen are just unbelievable. You know, these conditions that, the situations that families have been put into, you know, people who families have been broken up and their children have been taken away from them. I think one, one of the ways I look at it, and this could be a blessing or a curse, is... I can put myself in someone else's shoes and feel, you know, certainly not the exact thing, but I can get a feeling for what that's like. And so when you think about, I have three sons. If I think about one of them at a very young age being taken away from me and being feeling helpless to do anything about that and to know that the people who were taking that child, my child, had no concern for their well-being. I, I don't know how people survive that. And so that kind of situation, which is happening here and has been happening here, um, we don't deal necessarily directly with families that have been broken up in that way right at the border when it happens, but we do we do help families who have had that um, kind of kind of dynamic happen in their lives. We have situations here in Hudson, and this is how we started doing working directly with people before our organization was fully organized, was because we had situations here where a family member of one of our organizers was warming up his car to take his children to school. And I showed up, and he was gone. And it took us quite a while to find out where he was. So that was one of the first actual cases we worked on. There were others. But to try to, number one, find out where they took him um, and kind of through the system trying to track where he went because they they have ways that they do that. and uh, And then see what we could do to get him plugged into some legal help and so on. And that is kind of almost a typical situation that we have since then helped to try to provide some support for. So you have the person who has been taken away and and, uh, put in some level of detention, and then you have the family that's left behind. And now this person in their lives, which is not always, but sometimes it's, it is um, the father or the wage earner. And now you have, you have this family that's left behind. They need support. And so we do what we can to try to connect people to what's available to help them. At the same time, trying to help them deal with the, the you know, there's so many aspects of that when something like that happens is not just the legal aspects. It's all the pieces of family life that then have to be, be attempted to pull back together with some support. In many so, minority communities, there's always a discussion of having the talk with your child. Do you encourage immigrant mothers and fathers to have that talk to talk about the liabilities, the dangers, and what one should do and what their rights are, frankly. Absolutely. That's one of the things that we do a lot of. We, we do Know Your Rights trainings. We just did one a few weeks ago. And it's so people understand that they do have rights because the message seems to be from a lot of people, 
and to our community is that you don't have rights. If you don't have the, the particular pieces of paper that they want you to have, you have no rights. Well, that's not true. We all have rights. This, this country is one of the things it's based on. So we all have rights. We, it's one of the main things we do, one of the most important things we do, is to do the Know Your Rights training. And it is around things like, what do you do if ICE shows up at your house and knocks on the door? Do you have to open? Because they definitely will say whatever they have to, whether it's true or not, they will say whatever they have to to try to get into your house. You don't have to let them do that. One of the big pieces of our Know Your Rights training is to educate people on the paperwork. And this isn't just for immigrant families. This is also for the whole community because they could be in a situation where they're with an immigrant and, and uh, they are approached by like ICE or, or someone like that. So we educate people on, on the legal pieces of paper and what each one of them means. If ICE comes to your door and says they want to come in, they need a judicial warrant signed by a judge, not signed by one of them, but signed by a judge in a court of law. That makes it legal that they can then ask for access into your home. But if they don't have that, they can't. And so we educate people on when they have to let someone in their house. The same thing if you're in a car. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the, um, the video of Brian McCormick, who is one of our organizers. Um, he's the executive director of our organization. And he is also a part of the group that does those Know Your Rights training. He's also in a program that a few of our people are in to become um, certified through the Department of Justice to do some, um, some legal work with, uh, with immigrant families. And so he, he, he was, I'm not going to say I wanted him to go through that, but he had two people in the back who the ICE people who pulled him over were wanting access to. They did not have the paperwork they would have needed legally to have access to them, and Brian knew that. And so he refused. And he continually asked them for the proper paperwork. They didn't have it. He called the lawyer who's been working with us, who was on his way. So there were resources that, and that goes back to, you know, why do we organize? Because he could plug into a network of resources of both knowledge and, and the legal support that they needed so that they all were safe. And I had to leave. So... I'm sorry. I don't remember the original question. <laughs> what? You covered all angles of it. <laughs> it would seem that, though, the discernment of what is a person's rights as an American citizen is so basically obvious, and yet many will argue that it's antithetical to being American. How do you rationalize the reaction, that adverse reaction to a person knowing what the country lived, died, and breathes for? Um, you know, what I find is that I don't try to convince anyone that the way they're thinking is wrong, um, because most people are pretty firm in what they believe, particularly about issues like this. Uh, so what we do is present facts. You know, we talk about what the facts are, what rights we know we all have, and... Um, yeah, I think that's the, the, you know, back and forth and, and getting into any kind of, you know, arguments or conflicts with people. That's why we don't engage in that when, when people, you know, might write things on either our Facebook page or, or somewhere else that there's community pages in Hudson that people say all kinds of things about the work we do, the people we work with, about us. There it makes no sense to me to engage with that because they've decided. So it doesn't matter. And, and certainly I think we see that in the country, the world at large right now is for some people, facts don't matter because their belief system has nothing to do with the facts. It has to do with feelings that they have. Um, there are people who are, unfortunately, they are... Um, 
they're encouraged by the worst tendencies of, of other people, and that's what they're going to believe. So I don't know if that answered your question. It does. I think many people in their hearts feel that that is the appropriate answer. We particularly debate too often with our glands lately, and they really don't reach any kind of consummate solution. We just find reasons to argue further. Do you have access beyond Hudson County? There are those who will be listening who will say, well, you know, I'm in Jersey. I can't do anything about this. Do you have facility? Uh, are the tentacles out? Oh, definitely. We're connected to a lot of different organizations. Um, there, and I think we either have or we're about to have a piece on our website that gives other, um, other organizations, like there are organizations that are based in like the capital region. There are, uh, there's one that's called, hmm, it's got sanctuary in its title. So I'm not entirely sure there's one that's around trying to abolish ICE, which there are a lot of organizations that that's a part of what they're trying to do. There's a lot of people that don't know the history of ICE as far as, you know, they think that that's an organization that's always been around. It has not. That organization was a reaction to 9-11 and uh, has changed, I think, over the years uh, around their focus. But there is... Uh, there's an organization called Nobody Leaves Mids Hudson that we're connected to, and they, I think, serve most of the Hudson Valley. So people, no matter where they are, can just do some searches online around, you know, even using the word sanctuary or using immigrant rights, because there are very active organizations all over the country, I would say. I think it's probably unusual, although there may be some other states that I'm just not aware of, but I think it's unusual to live anywhere where you can't plug into some kind of organization. And if it's, there's not one that's existing locally, you can always plug into some national groups and explore if this is an issue that you're concerned about. You can explore how to start talking to people in your community. I mean, that's how grassroots organizing happens. You know, it's not necessary to have somebody else come in and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to, you know, put this organization in your community to serve. It, it's the opposite, at least in the organizations that I've been involved in that are true grassroots organizing. It's people in a community, and sometimes that just starts with one person who is concerned about an issue, reaching out to other people, and then building, either building an organization, building a movement, building connections to each other, and developing community around it. And it's amazing where that can go. So I would encourage anyone who's concerned about this. You know, you can go on our website and see some of the information we have out there. There is a, a statewide push right now called the Green Light Campaign. We're pushing for, um, for driver's license for everyone, regardless of immigration status, which, by the way, used to be that also, I think. Um, I think that happened after 9-11. But everyone in this country used to be able to get driver's license legally, regardless of their immigration status. And if you think about it, that's what makes sense. You know, I, if you want to look at it just from a matter of safety, when I'm out driving on the road, I want to know that everybody around me also had to take a driving test, has to have insurance on their car, has gone through all the legal pieces that you have to go through to legally have a car on the road. That's not going to completely happen. Until everyone, until everyone has access to driver's license. So that's, that's in, in the state of New York. That's a big statewide program that people can, can uh, connect to. And it, it's looking good. We have support in the legislature. It's looking good. The leaders have said that, that they're going to deal with this. There are 12 other states in which that is legal. So we're hoping that New York is going to catch up. You know, New York likes to say we're a leader in these kinds of things. So then let's be a leader and make sure that that happens. So that's a specific issue that people can educate themselves about and, uh, and try to figure out how they can support. Can you give like us... The other state. Go ahead. Can you give us a short chronological history 
of your particular organization, Columbia Sanctuary, so that people might reflect on it? We are actually only a few years old, and it started a few years ago um, with conversations. Um, We were talking with the first gathering that I went to, the first uh, conversation that I was a part of, was um, with some local farm workers and with one of our founding members who, um, who is an immigrant himself. And so we got together to see, you know, what was happening, what was maybe the needs, what are the ways that we could support uh, what was happening in their lives. And so that's how that started, with conversations among people. And it's just what I described of how a grassroots organization gets started concerned people coming together and deciding to put energy into this. So that's how it started, and we we kept meeting, and there was a group of us who, some of us are still part of the coordinating committee, and the first thing, one of the first things we worked on was in the city of Hudson, we have what a lot of people call, you know, they call it a sanctuary city. We intentionally did not use that language because, unfortunately, the term sanctuary has become really loaded, you know, and it's really, personally, I think it's bad because the idea of sanctuary is something that is beautiful. But that, unfortunately, has become loaded across across the country. So the resolution that we have in Hudson is a resolution that affirms the city of Hudson as a welcoming and inclusive city. So it started with, a resolution from the mayor, and uh, and then it, out of that developed an order. Because the order, the difference between the resolution and the order is the resolution is a wonderful thing, and it gives listings of uh, what that means. The order is enforceable, and that means that one of the important pieces of that is that the resources of Hudson and the Hudson Police Department cannot be used to do the job of a federal agency. There have actually been lawsuits across the country and communities where the local police department did cooperate with, with, uh, with ICE agencies and they did something. And I, I don't know what community, I don't remember what community this was. This is one of the first ones I read about where ICE would call a, a local police department and say, we want you to pick up this particular person, or they pick them up, and we want you to hold them in your in your local jail, and you know we'll we'll be by <laughs> to get them. And there was the one case where they didn't, and that person sat in jail, not being charged with anything, for quite a while. Well, a lawsuit came out of that, and that community lost and had to pay out a lot of money because they held someone that had no charges against them that that particular community had no, had no charges against. There was no legal reason why that person should have been incarcerated. But that local police department did it to cooperate with ICE and pay the price for it. So that, and I, I, there's more than one, but that was the one that comes to mind that I remember. And it's partially, I think, why local police departments in a lot of different communities support this. Because... They're using, they would be using local resources to do the job of a federal agency. That's not appropriate. So we started off with, um, with this, the, the uh, welcoming and inclusive city. And, and a big part of that is people have to feel safe where they are. So, you know, I personally want my community to be a place where people are safe as much as we can try to, try to make that happen. And then the order was what followed, which, which, what made it enforceable, so that it was an order to the police department. <laughs> it was signed by the police commissioner at the time and the mayor at the time, and it is something that is supported by the current mayor. We've just had some meetings around the specifics of this and how it, how it pertains to the way that the police department approach people and, um, and the questions that they can and can't ask around immigration status. So a part of it is 
they do not ask ever about immigration status. We live in the age of visual activities and oral recordings. The written word seems to carry on occasion farther. Do you have a newsletter? We, you know the thing, yes, we have an online newsletter that, um, that is, is kind of in the process of being developed. We, our organization is all volunteer pretty much. We have one paid employee, that's it. So all the work that I do is as a volunteer. All the work that our organizers do is as volunteers. So, you know, it's always challenging then to have, um, to have things like that that are both sustainable and put out on a regular basis. But we do now have a, um, we have a, a list of, you know, anyone who's interested in our organization and in finding out about things can um, give us their email address and they'll be on the list of getting, they'll get information when there is an event coming up, when there are issues coming up, you know, we send out to that mass email list. So people can get that. That, that I would say, is a work in progress because it's not put out, like, on a particular day. Um, it is, the goal is to have it fairly monthly. Um, but it does depend on what's been going on and then um, how soon we could gather all the information and get it out. Do you feel that not enough understanding and discussion of civil liberties and Bill of Rights, for example, are not uh, presented accurately or as strongly as they should be in high school and college curriculums? And if so, how would you react to change that? Well, it seems like that, although I have to say I don't know how familiar I am with, um, you know, with those kinds of things across the country. So my impression is that there is not enough. I mean, I remember when I was in when I was in school. Uh, I don't remember learning a lot about that. At least not to now that I'm an adult and I've been working and I'm you know I'm I'm about to be 67 years old. So I've been doing community work for a long time <laughs> and and work around justice. It seems to me, in because of the work that I've done over the years. And I see the level of knowledge that people have or don't have around those issues, just some of the basic rights that come out of the Bill of Rights. Um, it doesn't seem to be there, the knowledge. So I'm not sure where, where to, you know, where to direct um, blame for that. But I guess if it's something that is across the country, then it says something about the level of education that people are getting about that. I would imagine that totally depends on individual schools, um, both elementary school, high school, and colleges. Is how, you know, colleges certainly have more choice about the kind of courses that you take. I don't know if that's available um, in all colleges. I would hope so. But it seems to me in general particularly around some of the things that have happened uh, without pointing figures in the last two years, is people don't have um, a level of understanding that would best serve what is supposed to be a democracy. It just, I'm astounded at some of the, at some of the basic misunderstanding. It's, and it's scary. I mean, one of the most wonderful things about the idea of this country is that everybody can vote. But that's also, that also means that people who don't have an understanding of this system of what people's rights are, you know, they get a vote too. So the more we can educate people... Um, the more educated our voters are, then our government will reflect that. I don't think it does right now, for the most part. Do you presently have facility for a bilingual introduction to one's abilities and rights?
We do. Everything we do is bilingual, pretty much. Um, we have organizers in our organization who are translators because we, we run into that a lot. And they certainly are, uh, people are not provided that um, in a lot of places they have to go in the community, even though legally they're supposed to have it, that's not always available. So we make sure that we have it available. And we have a lot of people, uh, a lot of our organizers in our organization are bilingual. So we basically translate everything, at least between English and Spanish. We also have um, an organizer. We have a large Bengali population in in Hudson. So we have, that's also a language that needs to be out there. We don't have materials that are translated yet, but hopefully that is something that we'll have. But we do have the ability to help translate for people. And we all our Know Your Rights, at least most of our Know Your Rights um, sessions that we do are bilingual. So all the materials we have is bilingual, and we have someone who translates. Like I said, we just did one a few weeks ago, and uh, we had two of our organizers were presenting and one was speaking in English, and the other one was translating into Spanish. Many would argue that young people, especially young people of a foreign persuasion, are not aware of the options they have in life. Have you considered or have you developed a program whereby you act as a type of guidance clearing center, for instance, for high school grads who are considering college and not being presented with the options properly, and then reverting to doing something they will regret later in life. We don't specifically have a program like that. Um, and, you know, as, as an organization that we are still very much developing, we, if we don't have the ability to provide a specific service, we do our best to make sure we're aware of where someone could get that service. So while we wouldn't, you know, certainly have the resources to specifically do that, we can, you know, it's a one-on-one basis, too, with whoever you're dealing with. Like, what are their needs, and then how do we do whatever we can to either help provide for the needs or at least uh, make connections for people of where they can. We have one of the, one of the things that, um, that ha- I think it's been at least for a year, possibly longer, We've been doing a a soccer program um, with young people. And through that and the relationships that are built with young people around that program, um, those conversations happen. And so our organizers, our people, uh, Brian, who's the executive director, has, has worked on that because he was already a soccer coach and he saw it as a way to develop support for the community and to draw in more of community. Building community is, uh, is something that is always there. We're always trying to, to make happen because when, when you build community, you bring people together, um, I think that's one of the best things that we can do. We have uh, one of the things that we do is called Women's Circle. So one of our organizers, Gloria Martinez, has um, kind of taken charge of that. And it's a space for women to come together, sometimes around a campfire, sometimes in another setting, and, and, uh, and bring people together so they can connect. And uh, I think that's, those are some of, you know, beyond the actual, you know, the legal support that we try to connect people to, the actual, you know, accompaniment, transportation, Translation. The the other side of that is um, is also doing what we can to build community and to make connections both with our community and to try to help people in the community to connect to each other. You've continually used that word community, Louisa. And if I may, I'm curious. Perhaps the listening audience is as well. Are you advocating a first step being developing a community within the larger community? or simply trying to assimilate rather quickly? I think expanding community to me is people connecting to each other. And, and then how that plays out beyond that is up to them. 
Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily advocate for groups to be insular in the way that they do that, you know, but I would hope part of that is, is connecting to the larger community that as much as we can, yeah, as much as we can give each other support. And that's, that's a big piece of what I think community is about. That I think in so many ways, people feel isolated and not just the, the folks that we're working with. I mean, even, you know, anyone in a community, I think it's one of the problems in the world today is that people feel isolated. They don't feel connected to other people. And if that is at least the spirit in which we do the work that we do, I think that's, um, that's a valuable thing that we can be a part of. To facilitate all of this, you have a formal organizational structure, Louisa, executive director, organizer, coordinating committee, and so forth. Can you describe the activities of each of the organizations within the organization, and particularly describe your own activities? Like I said, that's a, that's a work in progress. <laughs> so uh, we do the structure of the organization, and something, again, that's a work in progress. But the way it works now is uh, we have, because we've had access fairly recently to some funding that allows us to do this, we have a paid executive director, and we're also looking at, you know, some support staff, you know, maybe splitting up some, some responsibilities, but, you know, we're looking at, we need more staff, we need more paid staff. People put in a lot of hours, um, incredible amount of hours. Then we have, the structure is the coordinating committee. And that is, I'm on the coordinating committee, and that is the active group of people who are putting this organization together. We are a 501c3 now, which happened fairly recently. And because we're a 501c3, now our next step, the work of the, the uh, coordinating committee, is to um, have a board structure. So we have to, we have, to have a, a board fairly soon. So that is... That is some of the work that I've done because I have a background in, uh, in board development. So we just are at the tail end of our bylaws. We're pretty much done with that. We have to uh, add one or two policies, but the bylaws themselves were done. So that was, that was a project that I worked on with um, basically two other people in the committee structure and so we would work on the specifics of it. We're getting, uh, we're getting input from, from state organizations on how to do that to make sure that they fit within, the, within what needs to happen if you're a 501c3. So we do everything we do like that. We get input. You know, we're going to use the resources that are available to us in our state. And fortunately, there are quite a few. So we're at the tail end of that. Um, we're right at the beginning of, of uh, establishing a board of directors. That'll be the next thing under organizational development that happens. Um, finishing the policies that we need to finish, things like job descriptions. You know, so those things are kind of the tail end of, of the work we've had to do on them. Are you seeking, have, out, are you seeking out grant writers? We have people in the organization who have been writing grants. So all those things that an organization needs, we've had as volunteers. Hopefully, at least this is my hope and is what we're talking about, we can, we can move into having paid staff to do that. Because that can get really challenging. It entails a lot of volunteer hours, and not everybody can do that. Um, without needing to get paid for it at some point. So we we have, I don't know, I want to say hundreds. I don't know how accurate that is. That's what it feels like of hours that have been put in among, you know, our coordinating committees that have been put into developing everything that needs to happen to develop an organization. And at the same time we're doing that organizational development, we had to already start providing the actual services that the organization would would uh, provide. So that it's tricky 
to to be working with the public, um, doing a number of different things at the same time, still trying to put together the organization. So uh, well, I'm proud of the work that we've done. You have every reason to be. I would wonder, uh, it's been attributed to Truman Capote, it might be apocryphal, but there was the thought he had on a personal level, if I might ask, uh, Louisa, that there's a book in everyone. Your experiential background seems incredibly eclectic and varied. Have you thought about writing? Always. <laughs> I write all the time. I always have been. I've, I have kept, you know, I've kept diaries since I was a teenager, and I write all the time. That has always been... Um, my way of working through things in my life. And, uh, yeah, I've started writing a book many times. So someday. Yeah, I think that's an interesting concept that, that there's a book in everyone. I would think I would think there is. I guess the trick is, is it a book anybody else would want to read? I don't know. But um, as I write about some of the things that I've been involved in, it's um, it's interesting to me. I guess otherwise I wouldn't have been involved in them. But I've met some incredible people in the work I've done over the years. I uh, I lived in New York City, and then I moved upstate New York, and, and I guess this is still when I moved to Hudson um, about five years ago. I actually had decided I wasn't going to do any more of this kind of work. <laughs> but that didn't last. So I've met some incredible people. I am always impressed and um, and humbled by the dedication of the people who I come in contact with. We just, uh, there is a an organization called the North Star Fund that it's an incredible organization. I'm that, very aware of it, yes. Okay, so you know them. They are an incredible organization. We were so honored that they... Um, they awarded us with their Frederick Douglass Award, um, which I didn't even understand until we got to the event, what a big deal that was. So a few weeks ago, uh, there was about 10 of us from the organization went down. They had a table for us at the huge gala, and I guess it's, uh, they refer to it as the social justice prom, this one huge event that they do every year down at the Chelsea Pier, and it was incredible. There were... Um, amazing people there. We were, I didn't realize, we were one of, I think, just two honorees as far as organizations go. Uh, Linda Sarsour, who is an incredible organizer, um, was also being honored. So we met, we met some amazing people. And, and again, for us to be in the company of the people who are doing the work that all of them talked about, it wasn't all around immigration. You know, they're doing amazing work. The other organization that was honored um, works around getting, getting elders out of jail who have been incarcerated for so long. And their executive director is someone who was incarcerated himself. And when he finally came out, he took on... Um, the role of executive director in their organization. And to me, that is the best possible thing is to have, and that's how we hope we're operating, is to have the community that we say the organization is serving need to also be in the leadership and providing the direction for the organization. So um, that was that was amazing, and uh, it's good to see that there are so many organizations, so many people who are putting their heart and soul into work that, that to me is, is so necessary. And it all is about justice, about how we treat each other, about people knowing their rights, and um, making sure that, that they're not being... They're not being taken advantage of. Marvelous, and, uh, marvelous yeah. quote attributed to Frederick Douglass, who, by the way, is a personal idol of mine growing up. Mm -hmm. He was once asked by a young black man, uh, what should I do, Father, what should I do? 
And his response was interesting. He said, agitate, young man, agitate. <laughs> is there a danger in becoming satisfied with the result? Becomes satisfied with the result? Simply saying, it's been done, it's been acquiesced to, it's been solved, past the peas. Yeah, I don't. I think, um, you know, like I said, I'm about to be 67, so I am of the generation that, that uh, you know, did a whole lot of social justice work back at, at well, for me, the end of the 60s and the 70s. Um, and I think, unfortunately, in some respects, that's what happened. You know, there were, I think there were very well-financed efforts to, to sit on that work and make sure that we didn't go any further. Um, so there's that. You know, the power dynamics in this country have never wanted, at least it seems like, the, the powerful voice of the people to truly be heard and listened to. And so now I think we're in a moment where this is not going to go away. There's so many different movements, so many different organizations and pushes. And, and um, I remember back in the 70s feeling like a giant had been, had been woken up. And it was powerful, the feeling of that, um, that power, people waking up and saying no. Whatever it was about, whatever they were advocating for or against, and I and I believe we need to advocate for things, not necessarily against. But um, I thought it was so powerful, and unfortunately, it was—I don't know if "crushed" is the right word—but um, there was also a lot of a lot of power and energy that was put into squashing it, and. And people had to survive, and for so many reasons, didn't keep doing the work and thought maybe they had solved problems that clearly were not solved. They went underground. Uh, you know, I have three sons. My sons are young men of color who have had to deal with things just, you know, like any other family that's a little bit different, a little bit brown in this country, just the everyday things of, you know, how you have to navigate going to school as a child, going to school. And I know they didn't tell me everything that happened in school, um, but going to school, being out in the world, this country is still a dangerous place for a lot of people. And uh, until that's not the case, then we have to keep doing this work. I don't see any other choice. We have to. How do we keep, how do you, frankly, keep those who are the powers that be from co-opting the scenario? It would seem that's what essentially happened, and I'd, I'd rather not give away my own age. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> there are comets that are coming back for my birthday. <laughs> Okay, but gotcha. <laughs> given that circumstance, uh, the awareness can be difficult to procure when you have persons simply saying, it's something I acquiesce to, it's something we support, and by the way, and on to another topic. How do you keep well, it at the head of the pin? We can't accept that. I mean, you can see if something, um, you know, something really changes. We feel it, we see it, we are in the community. We know when things change. And if they don't, then it doesn't matter what people in power say. You know, again, that simple thing, actions speak louder than words. You know, we can certainly see whether, whether any change has really been made. And so we keep at it. We keep holding people accountable. And maybe that's something that didn't continue to happen. I don't know. Um, I think there's a lot, I'm sure there's a lot of books that have been and will be written about what happened coming out of the civil rights movement and, um, and the seventies when we all thought we were setting the world on fire, but we have to keep people accountable and we just keep doing that. And it is, it is like so many other things. It's repetition. You know, you just have to keep doing it because 
like I said, I don't see any other choice. You know, I came to Hudson to kind of, nobody here knew what my background was and the kind of work I had done. But, um, and my intention was not necessarily be involved again. But it, the times demand it, especially if that's something that, you know, you've, you've already made a commitment to in your life. So my personal commitment has always been personally about my son. I want my son to be in a world where, you know, and there's no guarantees about anything, but where if there are some things that I can work on around making it a safer, more just world for them to be in and to live in, then I have no other choice beyond that. You know, that's the most personal commitment is because of my own sons and my family. But beyond that, to the community as well. And i that's what I see in other organizers, is the commitment has been made to, to in, particularly in this country, to do what we can to make it live up to the promise, you know, live up to the ideals that supposedly this country was based on, when we know that the true history is something else. And we always recognize that. Um I was with some amazing women last week who are water protectors who came from different parts of the world to, uh, to do some work in this area. They were in New York City for an event at the United Nations, um, for, and I don't remember the name of the event, but it was around... Indigenous was people. All indigenous folks, right. They came up here. There's an incredible retreat center called the Watershed Center in Milliton that a friend of mine has, um, Amazing people, when I think of the amazing people that have come through here, that's, that's part of what motivates me. When I go out to the Watershed Center, and that's a retreat center where I think every, every movement in the country has come through there and done some training and had events there to me at sacred ground. And when I can go there and meet them, there's a local chief uh, named um, Hawkstorm. He was there, and they they do ceremony there. They talk about about um, their communities and and uh, and water protection because that that's they are they are part of a group called the Grandmothers. <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> there is there is a group called the Thirteen Indigenous Grandmothers who are wise women from all over the world of indigenous, different indigenous groups Indeed. who have a lot of wisdom to share with the world. So there's, there are, there are so many ways to keep motivated. And, and part of it is that to get plugged into communities of people who are doing this work in, in CCSM and the sanctuary movement. I am a part of organizing with incredible people. So, that that keeps you going. I mean, this this is not an easy time in this country. I agree. In the world, not just here; it's in the world. There is energy moving in the world that um, I think can go either way. So, we're going to do what we can to make sure it goes in a way that that uh, makes this a more sane, just place to be. And yet, as Saint Augustine said, uh, heaven has to be earned. And it would seem that many, uh, like yourself, if I may say, are finding the proper path. We're within two minutes of uh, what has been an incredibly interesting program, and I'd love to come back and speak to you again. I'm sure the audience would as well. Thank you. you? I've rambled a lot, but okay. No, no, no. Good conversation is like a dance. When the music ends, you keep dancing. Yeah. If you were to... Just give an outline of the protocol that an individual in the listening audience or someone out there might follow, the ways to contact your organization, what to do, and how to promulgate and pursue their own ends through you. Okay. Um, right. Our, our uh, website is all one word, sanctuarycolumbiacounty at gmail.com. And so people can go on our website and there will be links 
to some of the things I've talked about. There'll be a link to the Greenlight Campaign, which is a very current issue that's going on right now that people can absolutely get involved in. There's a link to something they could sign on to that would show their support for that um, because that's going to be coming up for a vote, and the more support, the better. We have a phone line. It's called the hotline. Uh, most of the time, there's not always someone to answer it, but they get back to people as quick as possible. And that is 518-303-3848. Um, and that also, if, you know, so if I said that too fast, it's on the website. We have a Facebook page that's pretty, um, pretty active, so people can go on there. And we share information on the Facebook page. It'll also show you what our, you know, there's a short piece around our mission statement and, um, and the organization, description of the organization. So it's a good source to get some information. And uh, I think that's probably a good way for people to start is to go to our website. And like I said, if someone is in a different part of the country, they can, they can just do a search for sanctuary organizations, for immigrant rights organizations, for if their interest is in other areas of social justice work. Just, you know, Google is a great tool to get a lot of information that's out there. Louisa, unfortunately, I have to draw this segment to a close. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Our special guest has been Louisa Burgos from the Columbia Sanctuary Movement upstate in Hudson. I would hope, Louisa, you can stay on the line for a few minutes after we're finished. Absolutely. This has been Seldom Said. My name is Robert.